Hello, and welcome to Northeast Christian Church's online service. We're so excited to have you with us. Make sure to subscribe to NECC on all social media platforms. And to listen to our messages, follow us on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Thank you and enjoy the service. Isn't he such a great guy? <laughs> in, in, German, in German, we say, Ich liebe dich, mein Freund. I love you, my friend. <laughs> uh, congratulations to your wife, Lindsay, for uh, hiking up some trails in Mount Washington. Way to go. Happy birthday to Sienna, who can't hear us because she is faithfully serving in nursery. And she didn't even mind. She was like, it's okay. You know, well, that's what her husband said. Um, and uh, Tessie, great to see you. And we are believing God for, for a job that will give you Sundays here every single week. Yeah. She works at Tessie's, and her name is Tessie, but she doesn't own the place. And uh, there have been just so many great things going on. I had a great time just recently. My boys had a great time because they had the house to themselves. They were masters of the house, kings of the, the castle. But my wife and I went up to Acadia National Park for the first time. And uh, my wife planned this getaway where we would just drive up just in time to get a, a good night's sleep and spend the day going around there. And while you hiked Mount Washington, we drove Acadia National Park. <laughs> and as far as I'm concerned, the men's hiking thing is going to be a great event. But Sunday, we're going to see everybody walking like this. <laughs> uh, Alex, you're a beast, and uh, man, I just uh, don't know how you guys do it. I want to say, I haven't said hello in such a long time to every single one of you watching online, and uh, you, you are a part of us. And they, just this past Sunday, we had a group, we had uh, one, one gentleman who has been committed faithfully to watching online, and we mentioned the uh, leadership gathering and he showed up and he's like, I'm here to serve and uh, helping with the online platform as well, but just physically showed up and they, they, come, they make sure that they're here like once a month. I feel like online, if I could encourage those of you watching online to think in terms of hybrid, that you, now this is impossible for some of you that are watching different parts of the country and the world, but those of you that are nearby, I wanna encourage you once in a while uh, once or twice a month to put yourself physically in here. It's a different experience, isn't it? Uh, you just walk around and connect, and but you are as much a part of what we do as, as everyone else that's here. And uh, I want to say thank you for not taking off on Labor Day weekend and making your pastor feel like it's a ghost town. And uh, we have a good word here for us today coming from the book of James, our series on this, which is not going to be very, very long, but it's, it's faith in motion. This is such a great book because James shows us what it's like to put our faith into action. Now, Martin Luther, who is the father of the, the um, reformed movement of the Reformation, he actually was so upset with the book of James, he just thought it shouldn't even belong in the Bible because we're saved by grace through faith and not of works so no one can boast. And that is the truth. You are no more saved today than you were yesterday. It is the grace of God. But we need to do, as someone preached here recently, work out our salvation with fear and trembling and that we need to be about 
working through our faith. Before I go any further, I, I just want to say, um, not only was it great to get away with my wife, but there, there's some things coming up here in the next few weeks that I want you to be aware of. One of them is our Married for Life seminar where pastors Tony and Susan Palo are coming up to give us an afternoon where we go from about one to four and we're upstairs. And so we'll be reaching out to couples directly, but this is just such a great, be intentional with your marriage. Uh, I find when you're not intentional about something, it just falls at the wayside of good intentions. And so block off the 17th if you would. And next week is going to be a, I, the, I don't, it changes, right? Back when I was younger, it used to be if something was going to be awesome, it was like, that is so cool. And then it went to, you know, college students were saying, that's legit, man, that's legit. And now everybody's saying, that's fire, fire, you know? So I don't know what the word is, but next Sunday is the Sunday for a couple of things. One, that you will want to be here, but also that you would want to bring someone with you because we're going to do two things. Uh, we're going to share for a brief moment on September 11th, probably some things that you never even knew, and we're going to remember that day. Um, to me, it was very personal and that I grew up in the shadow of those towers, and that was, that was near home for me. Uh, my pastor's son, had an interview that morning in the Merrill Lynch branch, and he was fasting and praying, and he told his father, he said, Dad, I've been fasting and praying. I feel like God doesn't want me to go. And he didn't, and thank God he didn't, because he would have been in those towers when they fell. Um, I think whether directly or indirectly, every single one of us has a story connected to that, and there's a generation that was born after that moment, but that was a really defining moment for us and we want to remember that. That's just a short, brief moment because we're going to be talking next week about afterwards in the word about the tongue. And we're going to have some fun. Like, we're going to have some real fun. And uh, you guys are going to be like, you might need to get fired, Pastor Paul, because, like, that's too much fun. So, well, today, as we go into God's word, I want you to take a look with me for encouragement that true religion is due religion. True religion, at its real form, is due religion. The word religion's become such a parodied word. Where I say religion, it's like, no, it's not religion, it's relationship. But really, in its essence, when I say religion, I mean all of the things that are right about it. True religion, where you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, where you have a relationship where you love your neighbor more than yourself, above yourself, where you even, as Jesus said, not just love your Lord, not just love your neighbor, but you even love your enemies. True, genuine religion is a do religion. And that's what I want to talk with you about. So Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would use your word and these words to encourage, not discourage, to connect and, and correct your people. Um, to save us some embarrassment, to give us some hope and joy through your word, in Jesus' name, amen. True religion is due religion. That's what we're talking about here. And let me read the first verse, James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Know this, my brethren, my brothers and sisters, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Everybody just say, ouch, right? 
<laughs> if I just heeded this verse more, how much embarrassment I could spare myself, how much hurt I could spare other people. Um, you wouldn't know this about me, but the, uh, the, the seven deadly sins, um, pride does not have a hold on me, but wrath, oh my goodness, do I have a temper. And it's just an Irish thing, right? I grew up in the way we greet each other at family reunions is we just punch each other. It's just crazy. But there's this guy, he was uh, just newly married. His name was Pastor Dylan O'Shell. <laughs> I don't know if he's watching. No, I, hope, I hope not. But he's down right now in Cancun Beach with his new bride. And I, I just... I, I'm so sorry for being fragmented here, but I just want to say that your generosity to them was just overwhelming. You blessed them like you were family. And, and I just, I was just so proud of you as a people, as a church. So, so thank you. It, 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 this church really isn't about me as the lead pastor. It's about Thomas and Dina and Dylan and Mary Evelyn and all of you greeting and videography. But you treated him like family. I just, I, I, I'll never forget that. So thank you for doing that. But uh, it wasn't Dylan that was at the beach newly married. It was this other guy, because Dylan wouldn't do this. But him and his bride were on the beach, and it's beautiful, and the sun's glistening. And he's like, honey, what would you like to do? And she's like, well, I've never ridden horses on the beach. I would just love to ride a horse. And so they got these beautiful, stunning white stallions and they're, they're riding on the beach and they're, they're comfortable and safe. And, do that. and then all of a sudden, the guy's horse just goes, stops, bucks him off and throws him to the ground. And she's like, oh my gosh, honey, I'm so sorry. This was my idea. And he just looks at the horse and he goes, that's one. Hops back on the horse. They're trotting. They're starting to gallop. They're in a full stride, and the horse does it again. He stops. The guy flies off. Boom. He hits the ground. She's so embarrassed. She's like, honey, I just, we don't, we don't have to do this. It's, it, it, it's okay. I'm sorry. She, he's like, honey, don't worry about it. It's okay. We're, we're, we're going to enjoy this. He looks at the horse, and he goes, that's two. Hops back on the horse, gallops along finally. Sure enough, the horse does the same thing, throws him off of the horse. He slams to the ground. He gets up to the horse. The girl is embarrassed. He screams and he says, that's three. He pulls out a gun. Boom. Shoots the horse dead. She's like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Who did I marry? What's going on? And he looks at his wife and he goes, that's one. <laughs> Brothers, know this. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Sometimes we just got that, that's one. <laughs> oh, the embarrassment I could spare myself. I, I, I love this ancient quote in, uh, from somebody that nobody in here would even know, but it, it just sounds like somebody today could have said it. He said, we have two ears and only one mouth that we may hear more and speak less. And Proverbs 18, 13 says it like this. If, only, if one gives an answer before he hears, this is his folly and shame. I just, my mind jumps ahead and my mouth 
jumps even further. And sometimes that's where I get myself in trouble, where I, I, I lead with my mouth instead of my mind. And Proverbs even says it like this, even a fool is considered wise when he remains silent, right? Sometimes you just keep quiet and somebody be like, hmm, really wise. And there's nothing going on up there. You know, it just looks that way. It just looks that way. Why should we heed this instruction? Why, you know, I mean, there's practical things to it, but in simple, James 1.20 says this, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Doesn't. It, show me other than righteous anger. Now, the Bible's not saying it's sin for you to be angry because it, God says this in, 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 I believe it's Hebrews, says, be angry and do not sin. So you can be angry and not be sinful. There's a thing as righteous anger. There's a thing as frustration. Like we're, we're not, you know, it, it doesn't mean that, that we don't get frustrated or angry or in fact, any healthy marriage has fights. And that's exactly what Married for Life on the 17th is about, is like, how do you fight fair? It's, it's, it's one thing to fight, it's another thing to fight fair. And that, that takes a lifetime to work that out. But the instruction really, it's, it tells us that uncontrolled anger leads to uncontrolled speech and uncontrolled anger, and it only takes you 30 seconds to do something that you regret for the rest of your life. And it doesn't have to be an act of violence. It can be an act of verbal violence. There are some things that I have said that others have just probably even forgotten about that come back and haunt my heart because I was like, I let my mouth lead the way. I wasn't quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And the anger that I had didn't produce the righteous response. Can I give you a confession? No one would know who this boss is of mine. But there was one season in my life where I was in my boss's office and they were yelling at me and yelling at me and yelling at me and yelling at me. And I just, all of a sudden, this went through my mind. If I punched them in the throat, like, this would totally be over. It really, this is a true story, true story. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit said, and if you do that, the Bible says that anyone who's to be a minister cannot be a striker right? Like a violent, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to respond to you with a hit, and your career will be over for the rest of eternity. And so I just said, oh, yeah, the righteous, uh, the, 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 the anger of man doesn't produce the righteous acts of God. It just doesn't work that way at all. You ever hear the term flying off the handle? You know where that came from? Back in the days before power tools, thank you for power tools, um, when you had an axe or a pick, as you use those things, the metal head on it gets loose until eventually it flies off the handle. So you could be out with Fred and Bubba chopping wood, and then all of a sudden, sorry, Bubba. The rest of his life, he's walking around with an ax head in his head because it flies off the handle. But it, what really happens when we get angry and we leave it unchecked and we're not slow, quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger. And we forget that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We not only hurt ourselves, but really we do damage to other people around us. That's where the real damage happens is not so much with us, with the people that are around us. We hurt other people significantly. And so he goes into this 
thing. And he said, James says, listen, I'm going to explain this to you. True religion is due religion. And he starts reading off to us in verses 22 to 25. But the doer of the word, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone hears the word of God and does not do it, that doesn't seem like that's the right verse. Uh, I'm going to read it off my paper here. Therefore, verse 21, therefore, there it is, sorry. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, just give me a minute because I have to teach this if we're going to preach it. But true religion is what? It's due religion. Let's try it. True religion is... True religion is due religion, and we mean religion in all of its good forms. So he says a couple of things here that don't totally ring the bell in English, but man, if you look at it behind the scenes of what God's trying to say to us, it's, it's deep. The first thing he says is put away all filthiness. Put away is really a bad translation from that, that verse. Really lay aside, it's easier understood as taking off clothing, okay? So just like a coat, something like that. Take off clothing. There's a great picture of this, and we've shared this one time years back, where in Zechariah chapter 3, there's a vision of the high priest, and he's standing before God, and he's dressed in these clothes. And I've said, Lord, you created the universe. Couldn't you have made like a cooler outfit for the priests? They look like doughboys, right? But they're actually butchers, and so this is actually very practical. And so he sees that the high priest Joshua... In, in the temple, he has this vision of Joshua, and he's filthy, he's in absolute filthy clothing. And he cries out, and he says, put clean clothes on him. And so the angel says, put clean clothes on him, and he, they re-robe him. And then the, the prophet Zechariah says, put a new turban on his head, too. And on the turban, on the top part of the hat, it literally says, uh, holy to the Lord. That's what that says, holy to the Lord. And it was the symbol of like, he's clean, he's pure, he's separated for the purpose of God. But when you looked at him, he wasn't pure, he wasn't clean, he wasn't separated. And it, the, the first comfort I think that I take from this is, is that even priests have trouble keeping clean before God. And if God's Leaders can have a struggle with that. And this isn't, listen, I'm not confessing subliminally here. I'm not running a racketeer organization. I am not uh, laundering money. I'm not doing drugs. I, you know, nothing like that. I'm just saying, like, we live in a dirty world, and by nature, you have to clean things in the world that we live in. But there are things constantly tempting us, constantly getting us to try and do anything but follow the word of God, and it results in dirtying who we are. And he's staring at the priest, and he's like, this guy needs to be clean before the Lord. And if God's leaders can face these issues, of course, it shouldn't be anything strange to you and me that we are forever in an ongoing battle to be clean before God. Let me tell you what it looks like. It's like where all of a sudden, you know, the worship team's leading, they're like, Let's, let's just like do business with God. You know what? The Holy Spirit's here. God's here, you know, and, and, and let's enter into his presence. And you're like, not like that. I know what I am. And here's the beauty of this is, is that 
The Holy Spirit says in this verse, through James, to put away filthy, filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted truth which is able to save your soul. So in other words, he says, lay aside, change, replace. Here's, here's the beautiful part of this. Listen, true religion is do religion. If you want to... In, uh, encounter God, you're going to have to do some work from time to time. It's not a passive thing where just come up and be, get prayed for. This is the mistake that we've made with church and a relationship with Jesus for so long, is we thought that it just resulted in a moment, in a prayer, in a person, and we're all set, or in a confession, in a admission, and then we're all set. And God says, no, 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 no. True religion is do religion. You got some work to do here. And he says, listen, I know what condition you're in. You know what condition you're in. Who cares what other people think about the condition you're in? All you simply need to do is do religion, true religion, and make a change. You see, there's two beautiful hopes with this truth. Number one, the hope is to know that while we may put on or wear bad character, in a sloppy season in our life, with one moment of intentional repentance and action, we can change it. It's not hopeless. The second hope in this, and actually just speaking to that, it says, for all of you were baptized into Christ, in Galatians 3.27, you're baptized into Christ and have clothed yourself with Christ. We are not clothed this way. We don't need to remain clothed this way. We can be clothed this way by doing true religion, which is do religion, and begin to make change in our life. This is the other beautiful part of it, is that my identity is not based on my clothing. This is an outer aspect of who I am. Just as my holiness and my righteousness is not mine, it's Christ. This is an outer representation of who I am. And I can make a decision to have true religion if I do religion and make the change. It's that simple. You're, my identity is not filthy or holy. It's son and daughter of God saved by grace through faith. But I have work to do. If I just say, oh, praise God, I can just remain in this situation. I can just remain in this relationship. I can just remain in this behavior. That, that, that's that's self-deceptive, but you have to make the steps and the change that you need. But the beauty of this is that you need to start looking at yourself as possible to be this in God. God says this, be holy is I'm holy. Oh my goodness, I, where do I even begin? Begin by making a change. There's a reason why in heaven it talks about everybody wearing pure white garments. I hope they're not this outfit. I hope that Gucci makes it to heaven and that Gucci styles them or something. I don't know. But true religion is due religion. And he says the evil that is prevalent, evil can be abundant in a believer's life 
in our lives as Christians just as much as it can in people who are not Christians. Isn't that a crazy thought? We could have abundant evil in our life and abundant filth in our life just as much as somebody who isn't, and it's because we choose to live to be reckless. And what what James is trying to say here is, is, listen, true religion is due religion, and you got to do some stuff, and you, what you do need to do in order for this to be legit is you need to make a change. And some of you here today, as I'm talking to you, you know I'm not speaking down to you or condemning, but we're, we're talking true stuff here, is, is that the real work of God in your life and the real work of God's faith in your life is not recycling dirty clothes and continuing in the habits and in the life and in the lifestyle and the decisions and the poor decisions and the, the, but that it means you need to make a change in your life. Those people that you're with, you can't be with them anymore. Those things that you thought you had the freedom to do. It's not your freedom that I question, it's your wisdom. You can't do those things anymore. You need to change. And I believe what God's saying here this morning from this is is that true religion is, is a due religion and that it's time for you to not just acknowledge and how can I say this? And I'm, I'm sorry for being so conversational. I feel like I should be preaching. Let me tell you something. Uh, okay. <laughs> I can do that, but I feel like I'm bearing my heart here. That, that some of us are really in this cycle where, for lack of a better way of saying this, you, there's a difference between getting something off of your chest and getting something out of your life. True religion is due religion. Do you just, are you just worried about your image externally or your guilt and shame internally? Or are you ready to really do what James says is to put off all moral filth? It means you need to make a change. There's something you need to do. It's not going to be solved with a prayer. It's not going to happen from some prophet or apostle or man of God, you know, declaring some kind of word over your life because when they're gone and the choir's gone and the music's over and it's just you, it's your wardrobe. It's time for change in your life because true religion is due religion. And here's what he says. He goes on to say that you you should receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. So think about this for a second. I, I, I wanted to send every single one of you home with a planter and one seed and dirt and just say, see how you do with this. But most of you are plant murderers. <laughs> if you have a, a, uh, a murderous thumb for, for plants, you know, just wave here. Like it's just, and my wife has a green thumb and like, she just, she just plants, our, our house is like a concert of color and it's beautiful, but if you think of how this happens, you've got to put dirt and then you need to implant a seed. And then you need to water the seed. And then you need to make sure that it gets enough light. And then you need to make sure that it continually gets enough water and enough light. And then you need to make sure that the bugs aren't overtaking it. And, uh, and eating it to pieces, right? In other words, 
If you really want God's word to make a difference in your life, if you really want to make a wardrobe change, it actually means that it requires you to be a little bit, let me say it differently, you need to be a lot more intentional with God's word in your life. It's going to take work. It's not like you memorize Bible verses and blurt them out. It's not like you reminisce on old things and you just simply think about it, but there's actually a verbal Christianity that says, I need to receive God's word. I need to plant it. I need to cultivate it. I've got to dial in my soul. I've got, I've got to make the proper preparation to receive God's word. Think about the parable of the sower. This is a, this is a really popular parable that Jesus taught, but I don't want to assume that everybody knows it, but the Bible says that a sower went out to sow some seed, and he threw it all over the place. Some fell on stony ground, and it died. Some fell on a path, and it got trampled. Some fell among weeds, and it got choked out. And some of it fell on good soil, and it produced uh, 50 and 100 fold. In other words, it landed in the right spot. It really is not the parable of the sower. It's the parable of the soils. And you and I, when it comes to God's word, are that soil. And, and when you have dirt that's been trampled, untilled, left alone, that's called fallow ground. And the, apostle, uh, the uh, prophet Hosea says it like this, it's time for you to break up the fallow ground. You put a plow into the ground, you, you, you flip over the soil, you got to remove the rocks. Like you haven't even gotten to the planting part yet. The hardest work is breaking up the fallow ground. And the question for, for, for you that you need to ask yourself before God, what is the condition of my soil? What is the condition of my soul? If God were even to get, you know, so many of us are uh, in Christianity, maybe those of you that are maybe outside of church, you'll, you'll hear Christians say this thing, I just need a word from God. Or I just need God to, God's word is God breathed. I just need that, that word breathed into my life, just speak into my life. And it's, what good is it if you're not ready to receive it? If you're not, if you don't care to cultivate it, if you don't want to water it, what good is it? And so what James is trying to do is to say, hey, listen, true religion is do religion. You need, to, you need to do a wardrobe change. You need to make intentional change in your life for this thing to really do something in your life. And, and just as a pastor, some of your stories I know, many of your stories I don't know, but I am so proud to be a part of a church that is a do church because many of you where the apostle Paul says it like this, some of you were liars and murderers and, and adulterers and this and that and other errors and all kinds of things. But that is what you were. That is what you were, but you have been washed. You have been cleansed. You've been, so many of you in this church have made a wardrobe change and God sees it and, and it, you radiated in your life and you're receiving good things from God. And this is a process too. This doesn't mean that God loves you when you're like that. And God doesn't love you when you're like this. He's cheering you on for those of you that are in the process of the change. You're, you're revving up to make the, the decisions and the, the determinations to to say, this needs to go once and for all in your life. And God, listen, God is cheering you on. You are his child. This is not your identity. Your identity is child of God. And if you're here today and you're struggling with a wardrobe change, you don't know how to break up the fallow ground. You cry out to God. You turn to people in this church and he'll show you how to do it. But it needs to be intentional. 
I don't recall who said it once, but it's been a life quote for me. When, you're, when your memories become more than your dreams, the end is near. Some of us need to dream new dreams of God's work in our life, of God's power in our life, of God's purpose in our life. Because he says this in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you. They're plans to prosper you, not to harm you. They're plans to give you hope and a future. But you're going to have to do. It's not just going to... I, it's so funny how sometimes we just make it like prayer dust. Uh, there's nothing magical about me. In fact, you know what would be the most beautiful thing in this church? is for somebody to pray for someone else. And then they get a testimony and say, I was trying to, and, and God just brought a breakthrough. And I don't smoke the crack no more. I left that relationship. I've got control over my anger again. I mean, at the end of the day, that's the beauty of our church. It doesn't reside in me as a pastor. It resides in us as a community. I think that's one of the beauties of the work that God's done here at this church. I'm pretty upset that I've got like four or five or six different people that can preach better than me on a Sunday morning. So that's why I control the guest speakers from time to time, you know? <laughs> I want to lose my job. But to be honest with you, why, why can't I be finding a creative way that we could increase what we do here and increase our reach and all that? And then all of a sudden, you know what? Pastor Paul doesn't need to be the voice from God. Pastor Dylan could do it. Pastor Thomas could do it. Pastor Dina could do it. One of you could do it. Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? Why do I have to be the voice? And now, don't get me wrong, you have to have certain things in alignment in your life. We don't just hand this, but, but this is my vision for us as a church, is that it doesn't reside in, it resides in Jesus. And we respect the offices of leadership, and we respect the chain of leadership, but at the same time, we respect the gifting and the calling of people, regardless of where you come from or who you are or what, you know, that God can use you. You have stories to tell. So let me wrap this up. James brings it to a really practical conclusion here, and he says it like this. It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers, deceiving yourself. For if anyone hears the word and, does, and is not a doer of the word, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Jesus said about his teachings like this, blessed are you not when you think about these things, not when you debate about these things, not when you create systematic theology about these things, blessed are you when you do these things. See, true religion is a do religion, and James is trying to get us in. But what's funny is, is that he kind of brings this thing to, if you look to, to kind of like a line, and he says, if you're a hearer, the language in that verse was, a hearer just observes what's going on, he goes away, and he forgets. 
But a doer not only hears, but they look into, they examine, they, they rework, they rethink, they reapply, and then they persevere. That's that word of somebody who grows strong under the weight that's laid upon them. In other words, they don't just take a heavy word or a heavy truth or something that God spoke that, that was uncomfortable or challenging for them on a Sunday morning and just leave it at the church and say, well, Lord, you know, be, go by your grace and wake up the, on Monday and forget about it. They wake up Monday with it still on. I'm saying, this, I got to do something about this. It's not going anywhere. And I need to persevere in this kind of thing. That's literally what James is saying. And then he, he, he goes on and takes it a little further. And he says, and then that perseverance turns into an action, a decision, an execution, a follow through. There are really three types of people in the world. Those who make things happen, those who observe things that happen. And then many of us who just say, what happened? What happened? But James is saying, no, there's really just two people in the world. Those who watch things happen, those hear, and those who do. And he says that mirror metaphor. You ever see, I used to, like, there's all kinds of cool mirrors coming out. First of all, my whole life, I'm a guy, like, I'm not worried about it. I'm not slapping on makeup and never will, you know. But I got, I've got, like, big mirrors, and I'm kind of like, all right, tuck in my stomach, you know, tuck, untuck the shirt, you know, that kind of thing. And then I'm off. Then I saw these kind of mirrors that you ladies have where they're like magnifying mirrors. And I was like, ah, <laughs> like nobody sees your face that closely. Don't sweat it, sweetheart. You look beautiful. You look beautiful. And then there's full body mirrors. I'm going to punch the person that created those someday <laughs> for all of us, for all of us. Right. And then they've got the ones in Planet Fitness Gym where they got like this light around them and it just like, and it's intense. And, but, but he's saying, listen, when you were in the ancient world, mirrors were a luxury. They were, they were like polished brass. They were not like today. Like everybody has a mirror. It's almost like you, you lose the luxury of the idea of it because it's like, oh yeah, I look in a mirror or whatever. But like, if you look and you've, you're looking in the mirror and there's like that part of your hair. You ever have those bad hair days where you wake up, right? And pretty much middle school is that phase of life where nobody does anything about it. But, but when you're an adult, you're like, oh my gosh, I got to like do something about it. Imagine if every morning you woke up and you looked at yourself and you did nothing about it. That almost is like, why do you even have the mirror? And I would say the same is true with God's word. When we look into God's word and God shows you something, it makes about as much sense as you looking in a mirror and just leaving yourself unkept. And then you picking up God's word and God showing you something that needs to change and you're just, leave it be. It just doesn't make sense. But the beauty of this is, is that it's not your identity. You can put it off. Yeah, it takes some work. Yeah, it takes some effort. But true religion, friends, it's due religion. And he ends with this phrase. And I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. He ends with this phrase. He says this. He says, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but, dece uh, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Listen to this. True religion is this. To care 
and to visit widows and orphans and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You want to sum up in simple what religion is all about? It's not the 19 gifts of the Spirit and the 25 offices. So there's people adding to it. It's not the eloquence or the intelligent lighting and smoke machines, although how much I wish we had like a LED screen. It just It's about you caring enough to change. And for some of us, we've lived with ourselves. I know like there's a point in life where you just got to learn to love yourself, you know? Like you got a mole or something, like it's not going anywhere. You go to the doctor, they cut it off and it kind of grows back. And I mean, you got to love yourself. You got to do that, but, but, but you got to live with yourself. And, and there's some things that if you can change it, you need to change it. Because if you think you're religious and you don't bridle your tongue and you don't jump in the game, your religion's worthless. It's just, it's a theme of all talk versus all do. Religion that's pure is undefiled before God is this, to visit widows and orphans in their affliction and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I'll never forget the testimony of a friend of mine, pastor's son, when he was younger. This was a very sensitive time in his life. And I got up to share my testimony. And, you know, I'm sharing all these horrible things I did. By, by the age of 18, I was just, I had a lifetime of just gross. It was just that. And afterwards, he came up to me and he goes, Paul, he goes, because that's just such a powerful testimony. And then his lip began to quiver because at this time, as he had two sisters, the middle one was not living for Jesus. She was, she was doing everything that a young teenage girl could do that would be contrary to what a pastor's father would want. And he says, what a great testimony. He goes, but when I think of my sister, I hate sin. I hate, I never, I'll never forget it because he said it with rage. I hate sin. I hate what my sister's doing to her life. That young girl, that young girl ended up turning her life around. She's running ministries at a church of, of, about 500 people in Texas now, and it, it's beautiful, but it left such an impression in me that we should just be outraged with the condition that we leave ourselves in it and begin to change it. And, and you know what? Sometimes it's, it's moral change, and that's where James says, you know what? Keep yourself from becoming defiled by the world. And this is where to preach real good and we could make you feel real guilty and shameful right now. But it's not just that. It's also in how we express the charity of Jesus Christ to the world around us. And I started thinking about that other part of it because we've talked, we've talked a lot about the sin. It's pretty clear. Some of us here in this room and online, we need to make some changes. Jesus is saying, enough You've got enough Bible in you to change the world. You just need to get enough do to change yourself. But that idea of 
caring for widows and orphans, charity in a, in a selfish world. Man, it impresses me what you as a people have done as a church. In the six years that I've been here, we've given almost over, we've given over half, listen to me, half a million dollars to missions. All across the back wall are pictures of people. And within this room, locally, are the life pictures of people that God's used us to change, over half a million. Not by a church, but by individuals who understand that true religion is due religion. In Uganda, we fed people who were starving through Pastor James Wabari, who was up here. <clears throat> and so humbly, when we went to pray for him, he kneeled in front of all of us. You remember that moment? I'll never forget it. Because that man was a giant and he's kneeling before us to, to pray for him. He was, the government was doing nothing for the people and he was running rice around to people with COVID. But you did that. In Mozambique, we have 500 Muslim children and now we'll be close to 1,000 Muslim children because just recently they called up and said, we have an emergency project. We need to do it. It'll result in 500 kids being, uh, being, being discipled in Jesus Christ through sports camps if we do it, but we don't have the money. And I was able to say as a pastor, you know what? You don't have the money, but we do. And we sent that off to him. In Indonesia, Don Butera is building the kingdom of God and he's creating an army of people in a nation that is radically Muslim, filled with, with terrorist groups like Abu Sayyaf, who's going to be here for our Faith Missions Month. And he's saving widows and orphans. In Sicily, we received thousands of refugees coming to Christ through the Vonareas through Anthony's parents, Pastor Dylan's best friend in India. Listen, in India, we've rescued young girls, many orphans from sex slave trafficking. You did that with that half a million dollars that we've given. We put a family locally who was living behind Home Depot into an apartment. You did that. We pull people weekly from the streets to the church streets. We pluck Dylan Allen from the streets of Lowell to the streets of gold through Teen Challenge by journeying with him, and he's living for Jesus. We opened our building to the town of Tewksbury when they had nowhere to have daycare for, for first responders and for educators, and we said, come use our building. We meet each quarter offering grief share for people that have become widows and orphans through their loss. We, recover, we have a recovery group every week that meets Fridays to say one day at a time by celebrating recovery. We've been called the friendliest church, not because of me, but because of many of you who are out there in the morning saying, hey, welcome to church. God bless you. So glad you're here. We've opened out our building to families with, of Lowell where they target specifically young couples with new children that have absolutely nothing so that they make their Christmas special. And we said, why don't you just come and do it here? And then we said to them, we said, do you have like space to work with? And they're like, we have none. We said, why don't you start holding your gatherings here? Why don't you start holding your, your staff Christmas parties? We would love to celebrate that. We have people responding to altar calls and allowing Jesus to change the clothing of their purity. We're in a final phase of securing a trailer that is going to be heated and air conditioned where we can offer cold water, coffee, and Christ to the lost. 
We have men who will be hiking and walking like this the next week, bonding together through friendships and through Jesus. And then we bring people who are living the American dream to find out that it's really just a nightmare when you don't have Jesus and eternity lined up. See, true religion is due religion. I didn't want to take this message and just slam you and make you feel guilty of sin and all that because I believe the Holy Spirit knows how to do what he does. It says that the Holy Spirit will, will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Some of you, when I was talking to you, you, you know what God's asking. It's just a question of, are you going to do it? But man, when it comes to that second half of caring for widows and orphans in this church and out there, there's so much more to be done, but there's so much that you've done. I don't think that God is looking at you in your difficult hour saying, you disgust me, you make me sick. I'll talk to you when you get it all together. I think he's looking at you and he's saying, hey, it's just your clothes. Will you let me work with you? Change you? Will you surrender? Will you acknowledge that this is an us thing and not just a me thing? And that's how change happens in our life. Father, in the name of Jesus right now across this room, you've put your hand and your truth on so many different areas of our life that need to change. I just believe today you're here in a gentle, kind way on a very hard truth that at the end of the day, if we're not doing religion, it's just all talk. It's just all talk. And you're not looking for perfect people. You're looking for working people, people who are willing to work at this, whether they're online or they're in this building. We just want to say, we surrender to you. God, surround us with your presence. That's what I think we need is, is the reminder that you are with us, faults and all, surrounding us. And as David said it, it's your gentleness and your tenderness that makes us great. I really believe there's a sweet, tender presence of God here to change us. And I'm going to let the worship team sing, and I'm going to let you do whatever you want. Um, and take a minute. Remember, the God that needs to change you and wants to change you and points out the things that need to change in life, he's also the God that loves you. He's the God that made you. He's for you. He's not against you. Thank you again for being with us today. To listen to our messages, follow us on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And go to ne-cc.org for all news, events, and updates. Thank you and God bless.